The reading today is from Judges, chapter 14, verses 1 to 3 and 5 to 9. One day, when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, A young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry? They asked. Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat. But he didn't tell his father or mother about it. When Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. And he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and ate it along the way. He also gave some to his father and mother, and they ate it. But he didn't tell them he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. Morning, everybody. Great to see you. We're beginning a brand new series today called Just Dance. It's all about uh, relationships, so we appreciate you joining us here in Arlington. And for those of you watching online, thank you for tuning in as we begin this new series. Relationships are really important. The Bible says that. Jesus says that. So goes your relationships. So goes your life. I want to show you a picture of a professor from Harvard. His name is Robert Waldinger, and he did a famous TED Talk. Matter of fact... Top 25 of all times with millions and millions and millions of views. A long Harvard study, 75 years long. He says it's the longest study of its kind that's ever happened. And they wanted to investigate what is what actually brings people to health and happiness and fulfillment in life. Like, where should you invest your life? If you're making an investment right now and you wanted to pay off big time 30 years from now, where would be the best place that you would put your energy and attention? Would you want to invest in some mutual fund or ET? or stock. I mean, what, what, where would you put your investment? And Waldinger says the, all the information, all the data shows us this from this long-term study. This is a Harvard, right? Super smart people, right? How many people here went to Harvard? All right, good. <laughs> people, your greatest investment you can make is relationships. It pays off the most. That is what this very popular TED talk, this is what the Harvard study, longest of it kind of says, relationship, so goes your relationship, so goes your life. So we want to focus here these next five weeks on relationships and how important they are to us. 
And we want to do everything we can to encourage relationships because it's actually going to have a, such a huge payoff in your life. We're trying to do anything we can as a community, as a church, to help foster that and encourage that. So we're doing something called Apps on Us. Right? What the deal is with Apps on Us is we want to encourage you to bring a friend or bring a family member, bring somebody, and we're going to give a, you a free appetizer. We've struck up a partnership with a number of area restaurants. You bring the friend, you bring the same friend every single week. That's fine with us. You can go out to lunch afterwards. We're paying for the appetizer, so to speak. Well, we're not paying for it. We made a deal with a restaurant that they're actually going to give us the appetizer for free. You walk right over here to Grayson 5 that's over here. We give you the coupon, and you go out. You have a meal. You talk about these principles that are so important. The greatest principles in investing in the greatest thing in your life for the biggest payoff, and we encourage you to do that. We'll give you the coupon every single week. You bring somebody, and you go, and you talk about this because it's a smart thing. It's a very, very smart thing to do. All right. Um, anybody recognize uh, this guy? Who is this guy? Yeah, so he does this cool thing, like it's hashtag bad dates. Anybody ever seen that on tonight? Okay, right, seen that? So, or worst first dates. So in a few moments, we're going to flash a cell phone number up there for you, and it's Brian Parker's cell phone. So now you have your own, count, you have your own counselor at all times. You can talk about this, but we're going to encourage you is text us your worst first date, or text us your hashtag bad date. We're going to take a look at all that data, and whoever wins uh, that, maybe there'll be a prize, you know, next week. Let me give you, I just want to get some, get the juices flowing for you, okay? So here it is, right, from Jimmy Fallon, uh, Tonight Show. It says, at the end of our first date, I asked her if she would like to go out again, and she said she'd like to take a break from dating for a while. I mean... <laughs> Right then, right then you decided after the date with me that you wanted to take the... I mean, then you couldn't be the next person or whatever. Okay. My date revealed his prize tattoo to me in the first 10 minutes of the date. It was a cartoon of him drinking a 40-ounce beer. That's fantastic. It's a great way to start the date off, right? My date told me that they had to keep their cell phone on the table because their ex could be going into labor at any moment. <laughs> me any moment. Yes. Let's get it right out there on the table. Now, this is good. Actually, this next one you can use for a date, or this next one you could use, maybe you're out with you know, somebody that you're trying to do business with or whatever. Check this one out, okay? I took my date to Starbucks because I forgot their name. Very, very practical. Coffee for John. <laughs> Coffee for Amy, right? Okay, it's very, it's good. It's very practical. We're trying to help you practically. You're out on a date, you can't remember the name. Go ahead, go to Starbucks. They will say the name for you, right? Okay, <clears throat> it's good. I was talking to my wife about a terrible date that I had years ago. I kept going on and on, and then she stopped me and she said, That was me. It was, it was me you were on that terrible date with. I like this one. I like this one. I told my date, that I was tired. I told my dad I was tired, sleepy, tired. I told my dad I was tired, hoping that he would leave. Instead, he leaned over and gave me a kiss and said, that'll wake you up. Oh, man, man. He thinks a lot of himself, doesn't he? Before picking me up, he asked if I liked Bush Light beer and how many I thought I could fit into my purse. All right, so... It, if you, if, you, if you had a bad date, right, if you had a worst first date or you had a bad hashtag bad date, please text 
right? Please text, let us know. Maybe you could designate, you know, if you're watching online or you're here in Arlington, we just, you know, want to know that and maybe, maybe there'll be a prize at the end. All right. Um, in this series, right, particularly the next three weeks, everybody, we, we're going to talk about three questions that lots and lots of people are, are, are asking. Actually, they're only asking two of the three questions. We're going to deal with the first one today, but here's two questions. I hear it over and over again. As I talk to people, as I read books, as I read articles, question, how do I find a partner, right? How do I find this partner, right? And then number two, how do I set the world on fire with this partner, right? How do we have smoking hot romance long-term together? How do we have that? How do I find the partner and how do I set the world on fire? But here's the question that we're going to begin to answer today that really people aren't so much asking, but is vital to be asked. And that is, how do I find my rhythm? How do I find my own rhythm? So here's the thing. I can't dance. I'm a really, really bad dancer. And if, if I don't deal with my own rhythm stuff and dancing, and then my wife and I get together and dance, I mean, it's just, it's bad. It's messy. It doesn't work. A lot of toes are getting stepped on. It's awkward. It's bad. I got to deal with my own stuff first. Does that make sense? I got to deal with me first and my own broken rhythm. Because if I bring my brokenness into the relationship without dealing with it, what am I going to do to the relationship? I'm going to break it. And so I know we want to talk about finding the partner. I know we want to talk about smoking hot. We want to talk about that, but before we get to that, we got to deal with ourselves. Because if we begin to deal with ourselves, then we can really, really, really start to dance. We've got to find our own rhythm. Of course, we're going to talk about that means getting your life right with Christ. Well, what does that mean to get your life right with Christ? Jesus Christ. You start entering into a relationship with Jesus. He starts dealing with you with some of these same things we're going to talk about this morning. He starts dealing with you. He starts working in your life. He doesn't let you go. He wants to work on your rhythm, right? Movement takes a pulse. Like, I can get out on the dance floor and I can move. Doesn't look pretty, but I can move, okay? Dancing takes a plan. I, I got to have a plan to become a good dancer. You know what I'm saying? Sex. Sex takes a pulse, Having a meaningful relationship according to the Bible or according to a Harvard study takes a plan. What is your plan to have the kind of great investment that Harvard study is talking about or that the Bible is talking about? Sex takes a pulse. But having this meaningful relationship that's the greatest investment you could ever make actually takes a plan. We want to talk about a plan. We're talking about the ABCs today of finding our own rhythm, our own ABCs. All right, so here we go. Let me say one last thing. Here's the deal. You know, which is much talk that's kind of generated out there about, oh, man, you know, relationships are bad and people are divorcing. Actually, people might, relationships and marriages might be a little bit better off according to studies. It gets a lot of bad press sells, right? Marriages and relationships might be a little bit better off in this world than what you might imagine, but let's go with it. Here's what studies show, that well over 90% of Americans, no matter what they have seen, maybe their parents divorced, their friends divorced, they're fighting, blah, 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 over 90%, well over 90% of Americans want to get married at some point in their life. So whether you're married or you're not married yet, the desire is, is that we want to get married. We have this at well over 90%. There's study after study after study. So here we go. ABCs of finding your own rhythm. It all starts with you. It all starts with you kind of correcting what's going on in you so that you bring that to the table. The A is for advice. Advice is gold. If you'd like to write things in, 
We're never going to get through this entire message. I'm letting you know right now. We won't get through the whole thing, but this is going to be a conversation that we're going to begin today. It's going to extend into next Sunday and then the Sunday after that conversation, okay? A is for advice. Advice is gold. Matter of fact, Proverbs says it's better than gold. Proverbs chapter 3 says it's better. We need advice. We need a coach. Let me read these verses to you from Samson. This guy, Samson, just so you know, read Judges 13, and it goes to like 17. Phenomenal story about Samson. Who is this guy, Samson? Well, you're going to learn if you've never read about him before. This guy is everything that every guy in this room wants to be, right? He's Tom Brady and Michael Jordan all rolled up into one. He's, a, he's like Superman, superhero. Every guy in this room wants to be Samson, but he ends really, really poorly because he ignored these principles we're going to talk about. So here's how the story begins. One day, Samson was in Timnah, and one of the Philistine women caught his eye. Now, I'm going to make a big deal about the eyes here. Why? Because the Bible sums up the entire book of Judges for us this way. Everybody did what was right in their, you finish before me, in their own eyes. Yes. And so here we see Samson. He's, he caught his eye. All right, well, what, what else? When he returned home, he told his father and mother, young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. Like it. His father and mother objected, isn't there even one woman in our tribe among all the Israelites that you could marry? They asked, let me stop right there, everybody. You might say, oh, okay, 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 okay. So he's Israelite and he just needs to marry an Israelite and that's what it's really all about and God doesn't want to marry in, you know, a different culture, a different race. That's not it. That's not it. You look in Jesus' genealogy, Matthew chapter 1, you'll find all kinds of ites in there, Canaanites, Moabites, you got it all working there. That's not it. It's the value system. It's what's important to this Philistine girl. And it should be, it should be out of sync. With sense. So mom and dad object. Like, whoa, we think this is a bad idea. We think you should go. Why must you go to the pagan Philistines? Well, there it is, to find a wife. But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks what? She looks good to me. Looks good to him. So advice is gold. You have a coach in your life? You have an advisor, you have somebody that speaks to you, you surround it. So what Samson does all throughout his life is when somebody speaks contrary to him, like, he just gets rid of them. And what we'll learn in the story of Samson, you get to the end, and he's just like, he's all by himself. In the middle, he's all by, he's constantly by himself. He's in a cave by himself, doesn't have anybody. Why? Because when people say something to him that is out of sync with what his eyes see or what he wants or his perspective, he's like, I'm done with you. Mom and dad don't play much a role in his life after this at all, at all, because he gets rich. So they object, say, you know, this isn't a good idea. Her value, this is a bad choice. Listen to me. Listen to me. Proverbs 12 says, the way of fools, so the foolish path is this, what seems right to them. But what do wise people do? They listen to advice. Proverbs 2 says we should tune our ears to wisdom. Do you have advisors and coaches in your life? Do you listen to other people? Proverbs 15 says, plans go wrong for what? Lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Do you have a plan for life's most important thing? So if we need this, and studies show this, and the Bible says this, that we actually need other voices or not, do you have a plan and your life for those voices. Are you listening? Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, he says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says. Jesus says we should listen. Now, something very practical I've noticed, right? 
caught on, maybe you've caught on to the same thing. God gave us one mouth, two ears. In a practical way, what do you think that means? We should probably listen twice as much as we talk. And here was Samson's problem. He's doing all the talking. He's doing absolutely no listening, right? He walks away. Here's a good plan. Listening's a good plan. How are you at listening? How are you with getting advice and friends? How are you when somebody says something that you disagree with, has a different perspective, they frustrate you? Do you just walk away like Samson? Or do you say, hmm, let me take that in, mom and dad. Let me take that in, trusted friend, and see what you might be seeing that I might not see. Listening is a good plan. Praying for friends is a good plan. We're going to get to this in this series, the Time Magazine article that says, hey, you want to find a great partner, which is going to be next week. Right? You want to find a great partner? Then you better have a group of great friends. The top marriage counselors in the country, you want to find a great partner? Then you better have a bunch of great friends. What is your plan to have a bunch of great friends? I guarantee you won't have great friends if you don't listen to your friends unless your friends challenge you sometimes. They see it. You're not, what is your plan? Are you praying for friends in your life? Huh? It's community group sign up today. Are you praying? If you're not in a group, are you praying? Hey, God, put me in the right group because... My relationships is the greatest investment. Have you done this? Very practical. I know it's not sexy, but it's very, very practical, and the payoff is huge. Do you have a plan for that? I don't know who said this. Some of you might say, I know who said it. I alerted all over the place to try to find out who actually originated this saying I'm saying next, and it's everything all over the map. So I just wrote, it's attributed to who knows. <laughs> show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, I will show you your future. Proverbs says it this way. Walk with the wise, become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. God does not want you to suffer harm. Here's my question to you. Who, is the, who are the primary influencers in your life? Who are the primaries? Look, look, look. Jesus knew all kinds of people. I'm not telling you to cut everybody out of your life. Nobody's saying that. I have a wide diversity of friends. But within that very, very wide diversity of people that I know, there are people who are the primary influencers in my life. Have you prayed about that? Have you thought about that? Who are your primary influencers in your life? Because Samson drove everybody away. Drove everybody away. It's a um, great story. I've, I've told it before, but I love it so much I, gotta, I have to tell it again. It happened in my seminary many, many years ago. I'm in a seminary class with another seminarian who had been an emergency room doctor in Kentucky. And one day in class, he's telling this story. So he'd been this emergency room doc, and then he felt like God called him to ministry, and so he went to seminary, same place I am, and he's telling us this story one day in class. He says, you know, these two guys came in. It seemed like they'd been drinking a little bit, and one of the guys had a big red mark on his forehead and then like burn marks all around his neck. He's like, what happened to you? And one old boy begins to tell the story. He says, well, we were sitting on the front porch, and we were drinking a little bit. Actually, we got to drinking a lot. And so uh, I had just bought a dog collar for my dog, the kind that shocks you and has a little remote thing, right? So I bought this thing, and, and we're sitting there drinking, and the thought hit me, I wonder how far the dog could go before I shocked the dog to come back. 
And then I had this great idea. My buddy's like, yeah, that's a great idea. I thought, I'm going to put the dog collar on. I'm going to hop in my truck. I'm going to drive down the end of the block. I'm going to honk the horn, and you're going to hit it. And I'm going to know whether or not I can still feel it, because I want to know how far the dog can go. And then I'm going to keep going farther and farther and honking the horn. You're going to keep honking the horn. You're going to, right? So it's a good idea. You get a little liquored up. You come up with all kinds of great ideas. And his buddy's like, yes, this is a great idea. Gets in the car, drives in the block, hits the horn, the buddy, boop. And all of a sudden, he, he had no idea how much power was in the collar. It was like, it's a big mark. And when it hits him so hard, he throws him forward, hits his head on the steering wheel, hits the horn. The buddy hears the horn again. He's like, boom, hit him again, hit him again, hits him again. He like said, oh, boom, hits him. Third time, bam, hits him again. Like the buddy's just frying his neck, you know, and he's like, bam, bam, bam. And he walks in. So who are the big influencers in your life? Uh, who are the big influencers? Bad, uh, you know, bad company corrupts good character. The Bible says, who are the primary influences in your life? Are they leading you toward a wise path? Are they leading you in a relationship with Christ? Are they, right, are they helpful? Who, are, who is influencing your life? Being challenged, everybody, is a good plan. I know we don't like this, and it's very frustrating, but being challenged in your life is a good plan. So when you're praying, because it's so important, the greatest investment in your life 30 years from now will be the relationships that you're building today. And as you're praying about it, God, send those people my way. And they begin to frustrate you a little bit because they see things in a different person and they challenge you. Just don't walk away like Samson. It's probably the thing you need. President Woodrow Wilson. One day he said to one of his staff members, he says, look, I want you to find me the most intelligent and well-informed person in the opposing party. And the staff member says, why? He says, because I want to hire him. He's like, hire him? What for? This is what he says back. I want him to keep me from going blind. Do you have anybody in your life that's keeping you from going blind? Do you have somebody who challenges you? that disagrees with you, that has a different perspective from you, that frustrates you? Do you have anybody in your life that says no to you and you don't walk away from the relationship and they don't walk away from you, but they say no to you? Do you have anybody like that? Samson didn't. His life went down in flames. All the potential in the world. Do you have somebody that tells you, hey, you can't dance? Thank goodness for my wife. <laughs> right? We're very different. She has a very different perspective. We're going to get into this in the weeks ahead of what that, the intensity of relationships, everybody. But it can be frustrating at times. But you know who benefits from all that? I do. Everybody around me does. I think probably this church does. I think the church staff does. Because I'm challenged, I see a different perspective, and instead of walking away, I listen. Now is it hard? Oh, 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 oh. yes, it is. All right, who is the picture uh, on this? Who can tell me who this is? Exactly. All right, 2007, he was the Connecticut football player of the year. He was the top tight end recruit in the country. He's first team All-American at the University of Florida. As a junior, he was considered the best tight end in the country. He ran with a rough crowd. He tested positive for drugs, so he fell in the draft. He fell all the way to the fourth round and where he was drafted by who? Okay, well, you say it like you don't really care about the Millennium Patriots. That's okay. In 2010, in 2010, Aaron Hernandez was his youngest 
player on an active roster in the NFL. In week number two of his rookie season, he caught six passes for 101 yards against the Jets. That hadn't been done since 1960. In week three against the Buffalo Bills, he led all Patriot receivers in week three as a rookie against the Bills. In the 2011 season, he was a standout player in the Super Bowl against who? New York Giants. Okay, just in case. I thought I maybe had Giants fans. In 2012, right, because he didn't get a very good contract coming out of college because of all of his stuff, because he's running with a rough crowd and he's drug testing. In 2012, he was a part of a contract extension. He was given the largest signing bonus ever for a tight end in the NFL at the time, $12.5 million, and a contract extension totaling $40 million, second to only one other tight end in the NFL. Can anybody tell me who was number one? (laughs) Rob Gronkowski, his teammate. Can you imagine Gronkowski and Hernandez playing together now? I mean, they're already good enough. What are we going to do, right? In June of 2013, after signing that tremendous, I mean, this guy's Samson, everybody. Not only did he have incredible potential that every guy in this room wants to be, but now he signed a contract for $40 million. And in June of 2013, he was arrested for murder, immediately released by the Patriots, and sentenced to life in prison. And this past Wednesday morning at 3 o'clock in the morning, he hung himself in his prison cell. And he had written in ink on his forehead, John 3.16, And he had a Bible laying there open to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So much potential, so much potential. He ran with a rough crowd. He didn't have people who were positive influencers of life. He didn't have people who would say, no, that's a bad idea. At least that he wouldn't listen to. Because every report that I read about Aaron Hernandez, it always comes back to this one thing. He ran with a tough crowd. He ran with a tough crowd. He ran. What kind of crowd are you running with? All right, this isn't very sexy. But this will get you to a great relationship. Do you have or are you open to people who will challenge you, frustrate you, say no to you? You want to dance and you want to dance great? Here's how you dance. We dance because we'll listen to other people as difficult as that might be. Nobody was telling him no. Proverbs 15 says, The lips of the wise spread knowledge. Do you have people of wisdom in your life? You have people who are speaking wisdom in your life. Proverbs 27, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Who is sharpening you? Who's sharpening you? Today's community group sign-ups. This is something that you should pray about. Do you have a group of people in your life? Many of us don't in Washington, D.C. This is a city. We talk about speed dating. This city has speed friending because so many of us are looking for true and genuine friends. Do you have a plan for that? Are you praying for that? Are you in a group? Are you thinking about going out? Hey, God, lead me. I say, you know, getting in a group is a lot like dating, right? You got to pray for God to guide you, pray for God to direct you, put you in the right group, put you around the right people, put around people who care for you, put around people who have character, put around people who will speak to you. I say, sometimes oh, I don't want to say anything to this person because oh, I don't want to deal with all the drama. You want to, people who care about you so much that they're actually willing to speak up and say something to you, right? Do you have those people in your life? Oh, I'm in a community group with a bunch of guys. Been in the group for a number uh, of years now. We have very spirited discussions, right? 
lot of different perspectives. They are not hesitant to challenge me, just so you know. I walk out of that group frustrated many, many nights. And who benefits from that? I do. Oh, look, some of us think, yeah, I want to go to a group. I just want to feel, I want to feel, ah, I get the chills all up and down every time I grow. I don't get the chills. I'm not going anymore. It's frustrating. Or you know what? I want to go to church because I won't feel good. Here's the thing. I know this is tough. Okay, ready? I know this is tough. I'm sure hope that some of you walk out of here. I hope all of you actually walk out of here from time to time, not every time, but I hope you walk out of here time to time frustrated. Because if, if you just want to go to a church or a group or whatever, a group of friends, whatever it might be, and you just want to feel good all the time, then what you are saying by that is that you've arrived. I frustrate myself up here. And then I got my group, a bunch of jerk guys, right? They, fr- <laughs> they don't hesitate in frustrating me. And you know who benefits from all that? I do. My wife does. This church does. Do you have anybody in your life that's saying no to you? Because advice is better than gold. All right. B, A, B, C's. Advice is gold. B, boundaries are vital. Absolutely vital. So we're told here that Samson in the story takes this Nazarite vow. So what exactly does that mean? I don't have time to unpack it, okay? So just trust me on this. It means these three primary things. So the Nazarite vow comes down to three things. Samson was a Nazarite. Nazarite vows. God says, hey, he's going to be a leader. He ends up leading nobody. Oh, I don't want him to lead my people. He just ends up leading nobody. I want him to lead my people. So because of that, leaders, leader, you take on a higher responsibility. So God has an expectation that he'll take on a higher. So he gifts him to do this stuff, and then he expects something higher out of him. So here's the three things of a Nazarite vow. First of all, you avoid things that are unwise. Number two, unclean. Number three, unnecessary, unwise. All right, and I want you drinking alcohol. That's what he says to him. Don't be drinking alcohol because you might end up putting a dog collar around your neck and (laughs) driving down the street. Are we demonizing alcohol? No, take it easy. Take it easy. Take it easy. He was a leader. He was expected to do something. It's a Nazarite vow. It was something that they did back then. But as you all can imagine, sometimes when there's alcohol involved, we do stuff that we're not proud of afterwards, and God was trying to avoid that. Just got done reading this book called Contagious, everybody, How Things Catch Fire. And one of the cool studies that they do in this book called Contagious is, is that they talked to, did a study on college students and drinking and binge drinking, and everybody's doing it and binge drinking. They asked them, got them individually, asked them about it, and it was like almost 100% says, yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, it's not good. No, I shouldn't do it. I should, I should drink it. I shouldn't. No, 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 it's bad, you know, and I'm holding the hair and they're throwing up. And, you know, all these stories, right? All these things you wake up to. So then the, then the person doing the study says, well, why do you do it? Well, because everybody else is. Because what you see publicly with your eyes, you're like, oh, okay, I'll go with it. But what you don't see is privately in what's their heads. And in their heads, the vast majority say, ah, it's not a good idea. But because I see everybody publicly, I'm thinking that it's okay. Are you following me? Okay. So he's supposed to avoid things that are unwise, unclean, unnecessary. So unclean, don't touch a dead body. We'll get to that next week. Unnecessary, don't cut your hair. We'll get to that eventually, all right? I want to read you the story. I want you to think about this, about this for a second. Boundaries are vital. God doesn't give us boundaries or guidelines because he wants to harm us. He wants to help us. So let's, let's read this portion of the story again, starting in verse number five. It's on the back of your bulletin. As Samson and his parents were going to Timnah, a young lion 
suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. Okay, got two things going on here. First of all, what is a guy who's not supposed to be drinking any alcohol walking through a vineyard? Now, I've always read this story before, and I thought, oh, man, the devil sending the lion or something sending the lion, something sending, right, to try, and then, ah, he just rips it apart like it's nothing. I just have a suggestion for you. Maybe God sent the lion. Maybe God said, you know what? You're dancing with the boundary here. I want to protect you because, boy, later on, he makes some really dumb mistakes. I want to protect you. And let's, let's, let's nip it in the bud. Let's start right now because you're going to be really, really sad that you are going to do what you're going to do unless you respect this boundary. And so God sends the line. Now, God's mercy and grace empowers us. The Spirit of God comes on, and that's God's, God's grace. And he rips the line in two takes the fall for him. Kind of like Jesus Christ takes the fall for us, but that's a whole nother story. All right? He didn't have respect for boundaries. God doesn't give us boundaries, doesn't give us guidelines to harm us, gives them to help us. Doesn't do it to bore us, but to inspire us. Doesn't do it to imprison us, but actually free us. Because what we see is because Samson never respected boundaries, he ends up becoming a slave. And what's really fascinating about this, everybody, I forgot to say this in the first service. Do you know how he dies? He commits suicide. How does Aaron Hernandez die? Except committing suicide. Advice is gold. Boundaries. Boundaries are absolutely vital in our lives. Boundaries. Um, Samson does not respect the boundaries, and he goes way, way off track. Proverbs 3 says this, Good friend, Don't forget all I've taught you. Take to heart my commands. They'll help you live a long, long time, a long life lived full and well. God gives us back. So highways have guardrails. Stairs have handrails. Babies have playpens, and we put gates all over the place. Why? Why are we doing this? We're going to restrict people's happiness? It's actually for our safety. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here, and I'm going to show you a video, and then we're going we're gonna to end this. And the C of this is really important, and we're going to cover that next week. Like, your whole life is going to be messed up unless you hear what point C is. <laughs> okay. I want to show you a quick video, and I want to intro it this way. <clears throat> we want to do everything we can to help with relationships here particularly over these next five weeks that we're in this Just Dance series. We realized uh, for the past couple of years we've been doing a survey, okay, and what we realized is, uh, is that well over 50% of the women uh, who come to this church and have been a part of the survey, well over 50% have an unhealthy relationship with food. And I'm going to play a video of uh, somebody who attends here, at Grace, and they started a program called Rock Recovery, and it's for people who have an unhealthy relationship with food. And I'll tell you when the video is over that you can sign up for the group. It's part of our uh, uh, TNT women's group, right? So we, at this point, we don't have anything for, for men, okay? Sorry, we're doing the best we can at this point, okay? Not that there's not a problem with men. I don't need the email, okay? Just, I just, we know. <laughs> I, we know. But here we are. Here we are, okay, and uh, wanted to start this group to, to be of help. And, you know, one of the things that Carrie Lynn will say, uh, you know, in this and things that she's told me about as we've had conversations is, you know, dating pretty much all the time involves food. 
Okay, so if that is an issue, if there's an unhealthy relationship with food, okay, we want to come alongside and help. If you're a guy, okay, a lot of guys were like Samson, you know, I'll do it. I don't need anybody. Don't challenge me. But I encourage you to get in a group with a bunch of guys who will challenge you, okay? All right, with that being said, let's, um, let's roll the video. Pastor John asked me to share a bit of my story to kick off this series, and I hope everybody can relate in some small way. The night after my first date with Ben, now my husband of 10 wonderful years, I found myself sharing my deepest and darkest secret. I was caught in the throes of a tremendously destructive eating disorder, which I mostly blamed myself for having, and I faulted myself for being unable to break out of. This disorder had emerged at a time when my most precious relationship seemed to be breaking apart. My father had terminal cancer. I was graduating from college and a tribe of people that I loved, and I felt cheated on by several good friends. I was exploring faith, but I didn't know Jesus, and I didn't know a Jesus that was alive and with me, and so all I could do was try to work through it myself. And because the pain was too much to bear, the only thing I could do was numb it. So I did. By running incessantly, by refusing myself the most basic things like food and rest, relaxation, self-care, I could get away with not eating, and I found that my eating disorder would distract and numb the pain. And when I couldn't do that anymore, binge eating began. About two months after my father died, I realized I had a choice. I could use his death as an opportunity to turn to God, or I could turn away. And so I decided to cry out to Jesus, and I told him that I couldn't, try, I couldn't fix myself anymore. It was the first time I'd ever connected Jesus to my pain, and the first time I had found him in my suffering. That prayer led to a spiritual rebirth, a rebaptism, and finally a life that felt worth living. The trouble was that years of habitual numbing by eating and running um, had just created a place that was hard to break out of. But slowly I learned to pray, to journal, and to take care of myself in better ways, even walking or reading or journaling. And though I know that Jesus could have healed me with just a touch, it wasn't his way with me, and it's not his way with a lot of people that I've met along the way. Instead, he used my pain and suffering to deepen my relationship with him and to make my heart bigger and eventually to help other people. So about two years later, the night after that first date with Ben, was another come to Jesus moment. I spent two years in my eating disorder in recovery and and I realized that I wasn't actually free from it. It still controlled so many of my thoughts. I wasn't free to be anyone, with someone. I had so much anxiety about food that I couldn't be fully present with this guy that I wanted to spend my life with. So this time I specifically gave God my obsession with food and my weight, and I asked him to take it and throw it far, far away. And that night that I took that huge risk and I told Ben that I was struggling with this, he held me, he hugged me, he kissed me, he offered his full support. Did I mention I married an amazing man? So for two years, every day, I asked God to take my obsession with food and weight. For two years, every day. And slowly, slowly, it faded into the background. But two months before our wedding, I had slipped back into my eating disorder and, at, and realized I needed more help. So can you imagine telling your fiance two months before your wedding that you feel like you need to go to residential treatment? But again, he offered his full support. He was wonderful. Two years after Ben and I got married, I created Rock Recovery, a nonprofit that helps others. 
And there's nothing that can replace the joy of being part of other people's story of recovery and redemption and their connection to God. In your bulletin, you will find um, this sheet of paper has all kinds of community groups. I just ask that if you're not in a group that you consider, since a plan is so important that you consider as part of the plan, praying about getting a group. If you're watching online, we encourage you to pray about maybe getting you know, into a group. Uh, movement takes a pulse. Having a relationship like the Bible's talking about, like the Harvard study's talking about, that will lead you towards happiness and health and the greatest fulfillment in your life actually takes a plan. Sex, which we will talk a lot more about next week and the week after, sex takes a pulse, right? But a relationship that brings meaning to your life takes, takes a plan. So I want to pray about that in conclusion and end with one question to you is, is God, is God sending any lions into your life so that you will respect some boundaries a little bit more for your benefit so that you don't harm yourself? Is God sending any of those lions your way that you need to respect the boundaries? Samson didn't, and it led to a catastrophe. I pray that, that we would for our own benefit. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. It's reflected right here in the story of Samson, how you graciously tried to help him time after time after time. Lord, help us to be a people who invest in this incredible thing that you talk about in your word, relationships. There are principles that make for great relationships. And though they aren't always the things we first think of, boy, they really help. Lord, help us to respect these principles and to grow. And may these next five weeks in this series be such an amazing time of building healthy relationships and moving towards a great investment in our lives. Lord, for those of us who aren't in groups, lead us to the right group of people, to the right advisors, coaches, wise people, people who care for us, because we need that in our lives. I ask this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.